Hello and welcome to Season 2 of How to Win Arguments with Numbers. We look at how statistics can inform our understanding of the human world. I am your host, Jack Bridgewater. This season we are looking into the study of elections. Today we talk to Dr Ruth Dassenville from the University of Montreal about the changing relationship between voters and parties, often referred to as electoral dealignment. Enjoy. If we could start then, Ruth, by just explaining a bit about what your what your research is on. I'm uh, I'm I'm broadly interested in in voting behavior, and in mostly in changes in voting behavior. Uh, from the, the the starting point to that is that um, if you look at the way that people make choices, and if you look at uh, election outcomes, it seems that something's changing, uh, at least in in, in established democracies and, and definitely in um, established democracies in Europe, it seems that something's changing, something's going on. Um, and I'm interested in, in, in studying what is going on and that um, I tend to refer to that as a process of dealignment, but just mm-hmm. more than that, there's also declining turnout rates um, that I'm interested in as well. And um, I'm really interested in knowing what is causing this change um how voters in recent times decide what parties to vote for and whether to vote at all and what the consequences of all, all these changes are for democracy in general and for how democracy functions when you talk about change are we talking in the last 10 years the last 20 years right um well it depends a bit on your time frame and i think there's no single time point that that is really the breaking point um and it also depends a bit on what indicators you're looking at uh, but if you if you think for example about uh, electoral volatility which is one indicator of uh the fact that it seems that voting behavior is becoming more unstable that attachments between citizens and parties are weakening one indicator of that is electoral volatility well, scholars have been discussing volatility and the rise of electoral volatility since the 70s. Um, and if, if you look at it more recently, what you see is that definitely the 70s are a bit more volatile than the 50s or 60s were. Uh, but if you, if you broaden it up a bit and look at a long time perspective, my perception is that it's really from the 19s, 90s onwards that, that, that there seems to be real change that you see more new parties, more challenger parties coming uh, as well, that you see that overall the high volatile elections seem to be coming the standard and low volatile elections, for example, have become more exceptional, which uh, was not quite the case in, in the 70s. Still. Okay, so we're talking last 30 years. So before we go any further then, how would you kind of define electoral dealignment? I, I, I tend to describe it as a process in which the, the, the linkages, the bonds between voters and parties are weakening. Uh, in, a, in a US context, people tend to think of partisanship and a weakening of partisanship. Um, I, 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 I think of it more broadly, in particular because partisanship as such is already a contested uh, concept in, in, in many European democracies. So I think it's, it's really the, the fact that Linkages, stable bonds, kinds of loyalties between voters and certain parties 
um, seems to be in decline. So if these bonds are, are breaking down then, what are the some of the long-term causes and what are some of the short-term causes of, of the breakdown? Mm-hmm. Um, I think what, what, what we're seeing is we're seeing change at a number of levels. We're seeing that in terms of uh, voting behavior, that there's more instability. Um, the, the, the instability is um, visible from election results, but we can also see that if we're looking at uh, individual survey data, for example, we have people uh, whether they decided whom to vote for, uh, when they decided. We see that nowadays there's more people who decide shortly before election day what party to vote for. Okay. So there's instability both within individuals as well as if you look at it at an aggregate level um, in, in electorates. Um, and then that has implications for all sorts of actors within democracy, um, importantly so for parties. So while parties used to have the, the kind of the luxury to be able to just govern and think about the future and make plans, nowadays they always have to think or my impression is they have to pay attention more so to what voters want, um, think more on the short term because they're more uncertain about their electorates and they know that from one election to the next they can lose a lot of voters. They, they're losing their loyal electoral bases and as a consequence I think, um, or at least that's that that's the what my research seems to hint at, parties have to pay attention more to what voters want which could be a good thing, um, unless that makes for just short-term politics all the time. So we're probably somewhere in between what parties are paying attention, they're responsive, but not necessarily pursuing responsible politics. So when you were talking about um, the kind of, uh, elect- you know, the volatility and parties springing up, I was thinking particularly about what seems to be happening to a lot of centre-left parties at the moment, right? So in Germany, in France... Uh, we have in uh, the Netherlands, we have the collapse of traditional um, centre-left parties. So when when we see uh, processes like that, is there kind of a, a, a is there a pattern? Is, is there some is there a comparison between those different things, or is it is it very contextual? Does it depend Does it depend on the country? Um, who uh, I think a lot depends on the context and the countries, but the general right. pattern is a one in which there's party systems are just becoming more fragmented. Uh, so um, those established parties and the social democratic parties used to be like major players, quite established, had a loyal base. They're losing that. And as a consequence, there's, there's more and more challenges popping up. Some of those challenges are going to stay, others might disappear and, and you're going to get new parties showing up. So, but I think that what parties exactly are losing depends a lot on what used to be the, the the party in a certain country that could rely on a stable base of voters. And in many countries, those were social democratic parties. In other countries, those were the Christian Democrats. And depending on the extent to which those parties have adapted uh, to the new volatile electorates, they're more or less successful. And do you think there could be a change in the way that the, the the roles that parties occupy, right? So I'm thinking specifically about the UK case here, where uh, something I kind of I thought about earlier is maybe a party like UKIP 
didn't achieve electoral success in the way that is, you know, we traditionally measure electoral success. You know, they only ever had two uh, members of parliament. But they kind of acted as a pressure group on the Conservative Party, arguably very successfully. So do you think um, there's a change in how parties actually function? So if we look at some of the smaller parties, the Green parties, um, far-left parties, far-right parties, uh, do you think that this process of de-alignment is going to affect what actually parties are and what their main roles are? Mm -hmm. I, I haven't studied that in detail, so I cannot um use any empirical evidence to back my but my suspicion is that that is indeed a plausible consequence of what is going on you, you, you've got electrodes have changed or more unpredictable unstable uh, as well and as a result parties that that parties that are known to be uh, organizations that adapt really slowly have to adjust to that and so it, it's definitely challenge for the, the organizations that parties are um and, and and some parties are going to be better at it than others um for sure yeah which i guess ties into the responsiveness thing right if if you're getting new parties springing up and then a traditional party has has to now respond to not just their base but these new set of voters um so we've talked about you've mentioned briefly kind of survey research um so if we could just talk briefly then about how we measure these changes, uh, maybe in surveys, but also kind of, you know, the ways of measuring de-alignment beyond surveys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, um, well, how you measure de-alignment, first of all, depends on how you conceptualize it. Um, if you're not, if you're not tied to the alignments got something to do with partisanship, then there's all sorts of ways in which you can observe change and growing instability in voting behavior. And one traditional way of doing that was um, to calculate um, indicators of volatility and net volatility more specifically. And that is really just based on you look at electoral results of two subsequent elections and you just compare the vote shares that different parties obtain. Um, and that gives you an estimate of the extent to which voters have possibly changed. There's all sorts of issues with those measures because um, if voters are switching back and forth between parties, you're not capturing that in an aggregate level indicator. So potentially it's underestimating the extent to which there's real change. The main advantage of the measure is that you could quite easily calculate it uh, for lots of different countries um, over time, and you, you're really not dependent on any survey research. Um, the 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 other approach that gets you closer to, um, well, that gets you to the individual level really is survey data. Um, and um, one way of um, measuring changes over time in in, for example, electoral volatility and the growth of electoral volatility would be just to take all election surveys that have been conducted um, from whenever they're available, um, and that differs from one country to another, and to um, you could look at the extent to which people change parties from one election to another in different ways. One way is to just look at cross-sectional surveys that include a question that asks people to report what party they voted for previously. So that's the a recall question. So um, 
Um, that way you can kind of get a sense of the, the percentage of people that report to have voted for the same party twice in a row. And if that percentage over time um, um, is decreasing, then it's an indication that people are becoming or reporting to become more volatile. Again, it's not a perfect measure because people over-report stability. Um, they want to be consistent. Um, and then so the, the, the best possible way to do so is to use panel data. Um, if you've got sufficient uh, panel studies at different points in time, you can compare whether people from what, what percentage of people actually switched from one election to another, and you can potentially compare that over a number of election cycles. Or, and that's, that's really the, the um, ideal situation, is that you've got a huge long-time panel, like a household panel or so, that included information on, on people's party preferences. So we've talked about, you know, how to, to measure these things, and we've talked about the effects um, that it would have on or can have on parties. How does it change how we look at voters and how we understand um, understand voters and how, how people choose? How does, um, how does this process change, change our view of, of yeah. that? Um, my take on it for now is that it's just made our job as political scientists more difficult. We, we explain less well uh, how people decide what party to vote for, uh, it seems. So um, one dominant theory in the field is that um, dealignment is associated with a trend in which long-term variables um, are losing weight while short-term variables are becoming more important. So that um, campaigns, for example, would predict better and better, uh, or campaign events would predict better and better what parties people have end up voting for, so that leaders that are short-term as well will become more important, while long-term factors such as uh, social demographics, what social class you belong to, um, uh, even gender or religion, uh, would become less and less important. Um, that's the theory. In practice, it doesn't quite work that way. Um, it's my impression, and, and, and what seems to be the case is that those long-term variables are becoming a bit uh, less important, mostly because the attachment to certain social classes is is weakening, uh, but those short-term factors are not becoming more, are not predicting better, are are not um, explaining a, a bigger share of the variation in, in in vote choices. It seems so. It's a bit frustrating sometimes um, as a as a researcher to to find that and uh, not quite sure what is going on, but it's no clear shift from the long term to the short term for sure so it's not like we can suddenly say you know if politician a wins a debate then they're this much more likely to win the election no doesn't that doesn't seem uh, to work that way now i'm not sure what's re replaced it maybe maybe there's just nothing maybe they lost the long-term anchors and there's just nothing that's replaced or that compensates for that and that at least for now, that's my that's my answer. And do we necessarily have to see changes in voting behaviour to kind of validate the theory of the alignment? Could it be that that voting and you know voting behaviour remains fairly similar, but for different reasons than we've classically understood? Do we necessarily have to see a different in the outcome of elections to kind of validate this idea? Um, I think, it, it, well, change in the outcomes 
definitely um, strengthens the renders it more plausible that there's really something going on. I do not think we necessarily have to find a change in the explanatory factors of voters' behavior to 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 make us believe that there's the alignment. Um, but in the outcomes, if there's more uh, volatility, more instability, that does suggest that something's going on. And if I could just play devil's advocate um, for a moment, uh, you know, I'm obviously cherry picking here, but we can think of uh, examples of elections, the recent election we had in the UK, um, return to basically a choice between two parties. In the US, it seems as if people are still largely uh, split down Republican-Democrat lines and the presence of, an, of a very unusual and divisive, can, um, unpopular candidate in Donald Trump didn't seem to shift those alliances. So how do you, you know, are these relevant counterfactuals that I'm, I'm bringing up? And if so, how, how do you kind of deal with, with those arguments? Mm -hmm. Well, the, um, a lot of this is context dependent and the, um, the, the extent to which you're gonna see in voters' behavior and electoral outcomes, the consequences of the alignment depends on the context. Um, a context where you're gonna, um, where it's going to be pretty obvious that there's the alignment is, for example, the Netherlands, that's got a very proportional electoral systems. Basically, any party that uh, gains what's it point sixty seven percent of the of the vote could get into parliament. Very open competition. Um, different dimensions are important. Not very polarized like uh, party system either. Um, in such a context, if People, people are no longer loyal to parties. That is going to create huge changes from one election to another because the competition is really open and there's no um, obvious cams that people would not cross. Uh, the, the United States is really different from that. And I, I think the United States is, is in many ways an exceptional country, but definitely uh, if we're speaking about the alignment and its consequences because it's so polarized and because there's only two parties and um, there might be underneath um, some change as well, and my, my guess would be that some factors are becoming less uh, important there as well. Some cleavages are probably losing their impact, but that is kind of compensated by the by the context of a two-party system that's increasingly polarized and is pushing people to 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 stick to a certain camp. Um, so despite the, the kind of the long-term um, uh, structural change that we're seeing in many democracies, you're not seeing the consequences of that in the United States because of this really particular political system. Um, that would be my guess. Um, as for the UK, uh, I think it will go up and down and back and forth between some parties for a while still. The, I mean, the UK has the same constraints on um, you know new parties emerging, and I suppose if, if a party like UKIP emerges and doesn't have immediate electoral success then uh you know because of the the first past the post system that we have then that can you know kind of halt its its rise and also the uk is kind of a tricky case because i think that the brexit outcome has thrown everything into disarray so <laughs> who knows who knows what's going to happen with the party system there um 
Okay, well, thanks a lot, Ruth. Thanks for coming on the podcast and it was great to talk to you. Yeah, it was great talking to you. This has been How to Win Arguments with Numbers, which is a production by the Q-Step Centre at the University of Kent. Thanks again to Dr. Ruth Dassenville for coming on the show. Next week, we look at compulsory voting. What is it and how does it affect the democracies that use it?